Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're listening. Welcome back to AI and the Future of Work. Thanks again for making this one of the most downloaded podcasts about the future of work. If you enjoy what we do, please like, comment, and share in your favorite podcast app. And we'll keep sharing great conversations like the one we have for today. I'm your host, Dan Turchin, CEO of PeopleRain, the AI platform for IT and HR employee service. I'm also an investor in and advisor to more than 30 AI-first companies, and as you know, a firm believer in the power of technology to make humans better. If you're passionate about changing the world with AI, or maybe just looking for your next adventure, let's talk. We learn from AI thought leaders weekly on this show, and of course, the added bonus is you get one AI fun fact each week. Today's fun fact from an article titled, why Meta's latest large language model survived only three days online by Will Douglas Heaven in the MIT Technology Review. We learned that Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook, failed trying to help scientists. Its large language model or LLM called Galactica was designed to summarize academic papers and even solve math problems. Instead, it was used to demonstrate how big tech has a big blind spot when it comes to understanding how easy it is to exploit LLMs to spew hate and provide false or misleading information. Almost immediately, users realized Galactica's replies sound authoritative, but actually combine facts from different sources arbitrarily in every possible field from astrophysics to biology to climate science. This surprised almost no one on the planet except for the researchers at Meta who developed Galactica. Not surprisingly, Meta was forced to remove Galactica from public beta after just three days. We'll be discussing the benefits and risks of LLMs in future episodes. And as always, we'll link to the full article in today's show notes. But now shifting to this week's conversation, I ask almost every guest, what could go wrong if AI makes bad automated decisions? Often that leads to a discussion about the ethics of AI, specifically who is responsible for those decisions? How do we introspect how the decisions were made? And what can we do proactively to practice AI responsibly? We've explored the topic in a variety of industries from great guests like Renee Morcos from Alice Technologies in the construction space to Panos Siozos from Learn Worlds in the education space, and Patty Padmanabhan in the healthcare space. Today, we get a real treat. Merva Hickok is one of the most recognized thought leaders in the emerging field of AI ethics. Merva is the founder of AIethicist.org and Lighthouse Career Consulting. Her work is at the intersection of AI and data ethics. Along with social justice and DEI policy and regulation, Merva was recently listed among the top 100 most brilliant women in AI ethics. And in the past, she lectured at the University of Michigan's School of Information on Data Science Ethics. Merva's at the forefront of this emerging field that will define how we live and work for the next many decades. I've really been looking forward to this one. And uh, without further ado, Merva, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Let's get started by uh, maybe having you share a little bit more about your background and how you got into this space. Thank you so much, Dan, for that introduction, as well as having me on the on the show. 
it is definitely an interesting space to be in. My journey started as a, actually an HR practitioner uh, who was working for Bank of America Merrill Lynch, responsible for almost 27 countries at the time. And I was looking at, I was responsible for our recruitment technologies, the ENI initiatives uh, in that space. And I am a tech optimist by definition. Um, so I was looking at, I was going deeper than uh, I, I suppose where I was, uh, I needed to, but also was talking a lot, uh, doing a lot of discovery with our um, partners, organizations, students, schools, career services, etc., and understanding what kind of opportunities and obstacles that we were creating for the students who were interested in, in, in jobs available in an investment bank um, environment. A lot of those conversations, as well as my research into technology, uh, opened up my eyes to what can go wrong and how we, uh, especially issues like bias uh, and discrimination in the systems, uh, unintended discrimination uh, and governance started popping up for me. So I started going deeper down the rapid hole of research. And what that led to was me uh, eventually leaving the corporate world, founding AIethicist.org and focusing on the wider implications. Obviously, HR is still a huge topic for me, special place in my heart and in my work. Uh, but I started looking at the wider implications of AI systems, algorithmic systems on, as you mentioned, on social justice, inclusion, uh, fundamental rights and rule of law. Uh, so I do consulting and capacity building with uh, AIethicist.org around those topics. I'm also the research director at Center for AI and Digital Policy, uh, where we provide education, on AI regulations, AI policy to civil society advocates, AI policy enthusiasts, as well as AI policy practitioners around the world. And I also teach, as I mentioned, data science ethics at University of Michigan. So multiple hats, it feels like I'm thinking and working on this 24 seven, but it definitely is a very interesting uh, place to be in. So this emerging field of AI ethics is I'd say a combination of a number of different topics. And I think the best summary of what those topics are that I've seen at least is the way you've structured your, your website, aiethicist.org. Uh, it's not just a plug for the, for, the, uh, for the website, but genuinely, I think it's a good way to frame the key concepts around AI ethics. As an expert, how would you say the conversation around this emerging field has changed over say the last year? Uh, well, a few years ago, when you were talking about AI bias and possible discrimination, issues of social justice, that was still a smaller group of people discussing these um, the, the, these concerns. And there were a lot of conversations about principles, like what, what should we prioritize, et cetera. I think over time, when we're looking at the conversations now, that community who are researching, discussing, uh, and also getting funding for research, developing products towards responsible AI has uh, expanded significantly. Uh, I think we have hit that uh, point where this is becoming now more mainstream and organizations are also understanding the importance of this. So. 
there is both research as well as um, organizational investment in this. Uh, and I think we are now looking at the conversation has shifted from, oh my God, something is happening to, oh my God, something is happening. What do we do about this? Uh, like, how do we avoid this? How do we assess it, et cetera? So we're taping this in November of 2022. And just last month, the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy came forward with a blueprint for an AI Bill of Rights. In your perspective, uh, why now? And what are we hoping that the blueprint for the AI Bill of Rights achieves? Well, the, the call for the blueprint of AI Bill of Rights was uh, had was actually announced last year, right? So around October uh, last year, October, November last year, the director, the then director and the assistant director of White House OSDP, Office of Science and Technology Policy, uh, had a very long uh, uh, article calling for all those interested in, in the topics of AI uh, implement, in, infringements or impact on civil rights, fundamental rights, rule of law, democratic values, etc., and ask people to contribute to, uh, to this process. Um, and then the blueprint is a result of that uh, process, the first call and what happened in between. And it is something towards, it is a development policy development uh, and a shift in understanding in the administration as well, from one administration to another rather, uh, of how much importance we should place uh, in terms of responsible AI and trustworthy AI, uh, how this should be embedded in, in policies. But also if you're looking at, um, the, the, the grand scheme of things, what's happening around the world in terms of national AI strategies and policy frameworks, et cetera, it comes a bit later than uh, the rest of the uh, you know, developed countries, et cetera. We now have more than 60 countries who have uh, published their national AI strategies. In US, there is no unified AI strategy, national AI strategy, there are disparate uh, parts. Uh, I think of the blueprint as, an, as a really great um, step towards that strategy, uh, but it really needs implementation and, um, and, and follow up like the agencies as well as the federal government uh, picking it up and moving it forward. On this podcast, a few weeks back, we had a guest who's a professor of computer science and uh, an early pioneer in neural nets named Jonathan Frankel. And I challenged him. I said, you know, I think the AI Bill of Rights is what uh, what politicians do when they know that something's important and they kind of pontificate and, you know, put together a bunch of words that, uh, you know, won't necessarily translate into action. And I, I feel like there's a, a sense of urgency in the community to collaborate and communicate what the principles of responsible AI that requires a, high, a higher, a greater sense of urgency than what I saw in the Bill of Rights. And he pushed back. He's done some work with Georgetown and various um, policy and regulation. He said, yes, but everything starts with a perspective. And this is basically a perspective. What do you think about, does it go far enough? Is it the right starting point? 
how should we think about uh, what role that that uh, blueprint for the AI Bill of Rights will uh, what, what role will it play in the coming years? It's definitely a great start, uh, but it, it is a start, right? It cannot hold by itself without implementation of those principles and the recommendations. Uh, that is what I was on, look, underlining the importance of that implementation by federal government and the agencies. Uh, if not, it only sits as a, another principle document that every, every country, every organization, every company starts putting out there. Uh, however, the importance is that this is coming from the top office. So it's coming from the top office and the executive branch. It requires coordination and collaboration from different agencies for this document to come together. It definitely sets some expectations for future expectations uh, from these agencies now, although it says non-binding. And although there is, uh, there are caveats or disclosures, rather at the very beginning, a rather long disclosure that this is not national AI policy or you know the, the official policy, et cetera, it actually aligns with what the administration is doing in other fora. To a certain extent, it also carries out from the previous executive order from the previous administration, 13960 on trustworthy AI. I think, like I said, it is a great step in the right direction, and we need to recognize where it is coming from and what kind of expectations it will set. It will it definitely needs to, we will see the action, uh, you know, what the agencies uh, do about this now in the future. Before exploring some of the concepts further, in your own words, what was laid out, these five principles in the, the uh, blueprint for the AI Bill of Rights, how would you summarize what, uh, what it contains? Well, for me, the most important thing was it was not just a set of uh, principles, you know, we need to respect privacy, we need to uh, non-discriminate, et cetera. What it, the underlying themes were uh, fundamental rights, and uh, democratic values. So when you look at those and what those that what they mean, uh, we actually come to another important distinction there that these are things that have connections to our existing um, what's the word existing regulations like civil rights regulations and uh, uh, anti-discrimination laws and some of the protections that we have around uh, non-discrimination in employment, housing, credit, etc. So we need to remember that these are already not sitting by themselves, right? Uh, and there is also a recognition that AI systems and algorithmic systems have a direct impact on democratic values and democratic institutions. So how we go about defining the, the, the five principles within the Bill of Rights or within the blueprint is a different question. But I think for me, the, diff, the underlying themes of fundamental rights, democratic values, and what, that, what happens when those two are not respected is the important piece. Because that's also how the administration is placing its priorities in an international uh, arena as well. One of the challenges when we talk about exercising responsible AI 
with various guests, I mentioned a few of them in the opening on this podcast, is that everybody who ultimately is responsible for introducing bias and just for lack of a better word, bad automated decisions can credibly deny culpability. If you ask the developer, um, do you practice responsible AI? They'd say, well, I just write the algorithm. I don't, I don't make the decisions, right? The decisions are made based on the data. And then you go to whoever's responsible for collecting the data and they say, I don't manipulate the data. It's just what it's, it's the data. And th then you go to, you know, the, the organizations that are purchasing these AI based systems from the vendors. And they say, Hey, we trust that the vendor is going to be exercising responsible AI. And so everybody's pointing a finger and ultimately the one who's harmed is the one whose credit is being denied by an AI-based decision, or they're not being hired because of some bias in the data. This is a tricky one, but who is responsible for these poor automated decisions? And how do we address the systematic bias that creeps into this whole, we'll call it the, value, the, the AI value chain? Uh, I think you hit it right on the nail, calling the chat value chain. Uh, I think that's real. We need to look at the whole life cycle of uh, AI development data, starting from like objective or problem definition, all the way to retiring a system. Who is involved in that uh, whole process? Who gets to make decisions? How do they get to make decisions? And who gets to be involved and say a word or say uh, have any say in, in these conversations. Uh, you're also very right that there's a lot of finger pointing uh, in this, but also I think organizations are coming to an understanding that some sort of governance is is required and how that governance looks, I think really much very much depends on the maturity of the organization and how much they understand the uh, risks that come with AI, but also benefits that come from the governance, responsible uh, governance of AI. You know, a lot of the times there is this myth, unfortunately, about innovation versus regulation or innovation versus governance or innovation versus responsible AI, which I think for me is a very, very dangerous and false dichotomy that some people are creating. And we need to question who benefits from that uh, framing. And to me, uh, innovation goes hand in hand with responsible AI and uh, as well as governance because uh, otherwise you're really doing uh, lazy development, lazy governance. Uh, you're just putting products out there, products and services out there uh, without uh, deliberate considerations or without in-depth thinking governance and responsible AI actually forces you to have those conversations, harms uh, exploration, harms discovery, mitigation, ongoing uh, management of risks, et cetera. So you become more deliberate about your own product, which not only makes your product better and stronger, but it also makes your company uh, more resilient and sustainable and profitable in the long run. Um, because you have you have a better understanding of your consumers or your stakeholders and have responded accordingly um, 
that finger pointing is to me ultimately is uh, will come back and bite the organizations or organizations who are trying to reflect responsibility and accountability. Those that see the benefit of accountability will actually uh, come at top in the long run. I agree with those points. And so roll back the clock. I don't know how many years ago this was, but there's this famous clip of Mark Zuckerberg in front of a, a committee in Congress on Capitol Hill, uh, essentially explaining how the internet works to a bunch of uh, old rich white guys and, uh, and explaining how Facebook makes money. And the, the narrative in Silicon Valley, where I'm taping this from, that, that, that clip fed is that innovation wins. Policy is slow. Washington, D.C. is just never going to be good at regulating innovation or technology. So here we have the White House proposing this AI ethics bill of rights. And there's a lot of the, you know, the same undertone of cynicism, um, which I share, by the way, but in Silicon Valley, that you know, whether or not a lot of us agree that AI needs to be regulated, but that it needs to be the responsibility of the vendors, of the developers. Uh, it needs to be self-regulated and, and that the regulatory frameworks may not come from Washington, D.C. Am I right? Am I wrong? What's your perspective about the role that, that the federal government will play ultimately in enforcing these principles? I tend to disagree. Uh, That is not to say that self-regulation is, there is no need for self-regulation, 100%. There is need for self-regulation and it is, should be the main responsibility and accountability to do this stuff should sit with organizations and how they put resources in place. Uh, I also get a lot of uh, requests from my clients or the, you know, collaboration efforts on, we want to do the right thing, but we don't know where to start, what is good enough, even with EU AI Act, you know, that there's a lot of obligations and requirements, but we don't know how to go about this. Uh, and we don't know when it is good enough to say, okay, we can do this and continue on improving. So there, I see a lot of demand from the organizations, uh, from the smaller organizations, I, I, I will say, you know, small and mid-sized, not, not what we call as big tech. Uh, because they want to, you know, do, do, do the right thing. Uh, however, if you only depend or 100% depend on self-regulation, I'll come back to your uh, example, Dan, on Facebook. Would you trust, would anyone in this world who have been watching the news over the last five, 10 years, trust Facebook if left to its own devices to protect the rights of its uh, platform users or consumers, or even if it's, you know, ad partners, etc. So I think there is definitely the regulations and self-regulation, hard regulation and self-regulation and all the other, you know, soft, uh, as we call soft law standard, standards, benchmarks, etc. They all go hand in hand. It's never one or the other. You cannot, you know, solely depend on regulations either. So there's a soft, there is that like um, soft spot of balancing for sure. That's why we need flexible regulations, but we definitely need regulations. And if we kind of, if we know our history, put you know uh, AI systems to the side, but look at 
oil and gas, aviation, transportation in general, uh, how do how we handle chemicals, uh, just a name a number of examples from our past, uh, like these these industries and technologies that have developed over time, and how not only they develop with innovation, self-regulation, but also there was that threshold of, okay, there is need for regulation and uh, oversight. So same applies, same applies to AI systems. And I, I definitely see it uh, complementary. I believe every computer science accredited degree program should require at least one course on AI ethics. And I believe that every vendor that's incorporating any kind of automated decision-making into their technology product, which, by the way, is every vendor <laughs> selling a technology product these days, should have to have their use of AI somehow scored, like a restaurant gets its uh, kitchen hygiene scored. You should have a, you know, kind of a responsible AI score. Um, now, those two things, to me, seem like foundational. And my paranoia, and the reason I even express my cynicism is I'm afraid that right now is when so many of these important technologies are getting exposed to consumers. And it may take realistically five to 10 years before we'll see frameworks in place to regulate how these technologies are deployed if we rely solely on the, on the federal government. So it's coming from a place of concern for consumers and and you know wanting us to culturally espouse the values of ethical AI but I'm just concerned about uh, you know it's almost like uh, we give the technology community a free pass if we wait for the the concepts in the Bill of Rights to be able to be converted into policy and then enforced I absolutely hear you and and support and you know support your view it needs to be embedded in the culture of these companies you know it cannot be only just like from top down regulatory you got, you have to do this in this way etc definitely needs to be in the culture and that's what i was saying that self regulation goes hand in hand but also for these companies it's not to their benefit to wait for regulation to do the right thing um, it actually helps their organizations um, and their products to be better, more resilient. So I, I think I'm having, in general, as I'm having these conversations, one of my big um, goals is to uh, explain not only the risks that are like AI-specific risks that are emerging for the organizations, for companies as they develop or implement AI systems, but also what kind of benefits there are from responsible AI and proper governance. And there are a lot, uh, both from reputational point of view to you know, profits and bottom line and brand differentiation, you name it, there's a whole host of benefits. So there is no reason for companies to wait for, uh, for regulation, for regulatory action to do the right thing for their own selves, as well as their consumers. So one of the fields that has been most disrupted by AI is HR. Everything from uh, talent selection, evaluation, performance management, onboarding, offboarding, every aspect of HR is being disrupted. 
And you mentioned that was originally your background, and I know now you do a lot of consulting, DEI work, et cetera, in, in and around the field of HR. Give us an example or maybe one or more examples of issues that you've seen in the HR field, maybe whether you know your clients or stories that you've heard that uh, that should you know help us all appreciate the need for ethical use of AI specifically in HR. Well, one of the biggest problems is um, not having a lot of the companies or HR or procurement functions not having enough capacity to do a proper due diligence as they're assessing these technologies before they bring in, right? A lot of the times you're looking at efficiency, cost, cost effectiveness, scale speed. So you're bringing, it looks shiny. Everyone else doing, is doing it. You're bringing in without necessarily understanding what that does, you know, what that does to who you're hiring, how you're hiring, uh, and are those the right people? What does that mean for um, for your costs as well as your company culture? You know, we have a lot of research and discussion about how the systems are assessing and selecting or recommending candidates, but we don't have enough research about the actual, like how many of these candidates have stayed, how many of the candidates selected by these AI systems actually got promoted and succeeded, contribute to the organizations, how much diversity that brought in, et cetera. So yes, you might be cutting down some costs and make it more efficient in terms of as, you know, processing thousands of applications that you might be getting. But whether you have the return on your investment in the long run is still an open question. So one of the you know big questions is, does this actually work? Does it actually, uh, one way or another, the system is going to give you some recommendations, right? However, are those the best recommendations or good recommendations even, <laughs> let alone the best? that there's still questions that we have not answered. And I see a number of companies, unfortunately, bringing this as a way to diversify their, their workforce and bringing in different perspectives, different experiences, et cetera, but not understanding that some, not all, but some of these systems actually drive you towards homogenization and not actually are working towards you know selecting or recommending diverse candidates uh, with diverse experiences, competencies, aspirations. Uh, you're just replicating what you already have in the organization most of the time. And if that's great, if your organization is already very diverse, but if it's not, you're just replicating more of the same of what you have. And eventually in the longer run, that actually means that you are um, homogenizing your organization rather than diversifying it. We've been talking about the US AI Bill of Rights proposed by the White House. And oftentimes the problem that we have in this country is that we do a lot of navel gazing and ignore the fact that there's a lot of innovation and discussion and dialogue specifically in the field of AI ethics that doesn't originate here in the United States. Can you share just any kind of a more global perspective? Are we ahead, behind? What are what are the best in the world doing that maybe you know we in the United States could learn from? 
Absolutely. So some of the AI policy frameworks, so Bill of Rights is one that drives some of the innovation as well as the policy approaches. Uh, but we are also looking at EU AI Act, uh, Council of Europe's possible AI convention that uh, would be relevant for you know, states themselves. Uh, we're looking at OECD, uh, although US has been a great contributor to the development of OECD AI principles back in the time, we are not necessarily seeing the implementation of this to the same degree in the US. Uh, and then I think one of the biggest frameworks is available right now is UNESCO recommendations on AI ethics, which uh, has been adopted by 193 countries around the world. Uh, one of the handful that have not adopted it is United States. So there's a very extensive document on recommendations on AI ethics, how to build and govern systems in a responsible way, not only for individuals, society, but also for the environment, for example, is pretty extensive, inclusive, 193 countries agreed upon it, including China, that is usually, for example, uh, you know, if you put China to, to another uh, bucket when we talk about responsible AI. However, we have United States who has not adopted it, is not a member and is missing out on this uh, amazing opportunity to not only impact such policy frameworks, but also uh, show, show leadership in, in, in such. You know, between the executive orders and Bill of Rights, et cetera, one of the, another goal of United States government uh, is to be a leader in the world uh, in terms of developing and using AI systems in a trustworthy manner, like develop and use trustworthy AI systems. That requires leadership uh, to be involved in these conversations. It requires leadership and implementation of these principles and best practices. Uh, yet, we're not seeing that in, in action and we tend to prioritize company uh, profitability over consumer or citizen or societal rights. I know it feels like we're really just getting started. This is a very important conversation, but uh, we are about out of time, but I'm not letting you off the hot seat without answering one last question for me. So let's say we're back having a version of this conversation in a decade. It's the end of 2032. How has the dialogue evolved? One of my moonshot dreams that I, I share, one of my like ideal world scenarios on responsible AI, not to mention that it's weird that I have a <laughs> ideal for responsible AI in my head, but um, that we have to your point that this has become part of the culture, like work culture, whether you're a developer or a salesperson or a uh, HR person, board of directors, that you are naturally thinking of the impacts and implications, not only on the consumers, but on your organization as well. And you are naturally doing this, have embedded this in your organization. And we don't need the conversation. You know, we're not coming back to this innovation versus regulation conversation that uh, we actually respect fundamental rights. We actually move beyond regulation 
and we actually respect the people that we serve and benefit from at the end of the day. Uh, so that's my ideal scenario. And hopefully in a decade, we are in a better space uh, in terms of at, at least for AI products, but hope is eternal, right? Brilliant answer. Brilliant answer. And I hope that uh, in a decade, we have an opportunity. We'll, we'll have you back on the show, maybe sooner than a decade, but uh, we'll get to see how we're doing as a community. How, how, do, how does that sound to you? Sounds good. I'm marking it in my calendar. <laughs> you, you and me both. Well, Merva, where can we learn more about you and your work? Uh, you've actually had a great plug at the beginning. It's AIethicist.org. That uh, platform was actually born out of my own frustration when I came first came into AI ethics and responsible AI. So I wanted to create a platform to and a repository, created repository on all things related to AI ethics, responsible AI. And I, I update that site on a regular basis. Uh, but also I put a lot of content on LinkedIn. If you're not already connected, I would love to be connected and uh, discuss about this stuff. If you're not already following Merva on social channels, please do that right away and go check out AIethicist.org. It's a great uh, repository of a lot of resources. This is such an important dialogue. And uh, Merva, thanks for coming and hanging out. This is really enjoyable. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's been a pleasure. Well, there you have it. That's a wrap for uh, this week on AI and the future of work. As always, I'm your host, Dan Turchin. And of course, we're back next week with another fascinating guest.